I bring you greetings from Columbus, Ohio, where I serve as the executive director of the Ohio Council of Churches, a 104-year-old organization that brings together 18 Christian denominations to work together as a Jesus Christ movement for unity, justice, and peace. I also bring you greetings from Journey of Hope, From Violence to Healing, which is a murder victim's family-led organization that stands in steadfast opposition to capital punishment, better known as the death penalty. In fact, I am in this state, your wonderful state, on behalf of Journey of Hope, in partnership with South Carolinians for Alternatives to the death penalty headed up by Reverend Taylor today. And we're here committed with many others beyond this place to seeing the end of the death penalty in South Carolina and in every state where it continues to be administered because we believe it is a hollow instrument of death that offers no closure, no healing, no restoration but it just continues the vicious cycle of death that devours so many of our loved ones and our neighbors around the country. So Journey of Hope says, don't kill in our name, end the death penalty, and in, instead fund love and compassion for all of humanity. Amen. 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 So I, I, I have a lot of hats I'm wearing today, <laughs> but I'm honored to be here as the guest preacher. Dr. Hodge, and thank you for opening the pulpit and the doors for me to, to be here. The message is titled, Fear. Fear. In January 2019, I returned to my home state, Ohio, after having been gone for many years, and my return involved becoming pastor once more, this time as pastor of First Christian Church of Findlay, Ohio. Now, this move back to Ohio put me in closer proximity to some of the people with whom I attended junior high and high school back in those days where we had junior highs or all middle schools now. <laughs> now, since my return to Ohio, I have attended a couple high school reunions. And although I didn't remember everybody's name, I did remember some of the experiences I had with my classmates. Here's one. There was a particular Sunday during my high school years when I found myself in an afternoon or worship service featuring the preaching of my childhood pastor and the singing of the church choir that I happened to have been a member of. So after our choir sang its A and B selections, you know, we have to have A and B selections in gospel, couldn't just sing two songs, had to be A and B. <laughs> After we finished our A and B selections, I walked out of the choir stand 
to find a seat in the sanctuary. As I made this move, I made eye contact with one of my classmates, a boy like me. Many of us high school boys then spent more time on being cool and projecting an image of coolness than on academic excellence or Christian witness. As we made eye contact, we each knew what the other was thinking. And we were thinking this thought, we are in a church service and this is not cool. <laughs> so at some point, we spoke to one another, feeling embarrassment for having been seen in the church choir and church service and sensing the embarrassment felt by my classmate, I blurted out to him these words, I won't tell if you don't tell. Meaning I would not tell anyone that I saw him in a church service if he agreed not to tell anybody he saw me in a church service. So there it was. We said okay, shook hands, and our coolness was preserved. So here I am, decades later, reflecting on our don't ask, don't tell agreement. <laughs> Wondering even now why being cool was so important to us, even more important than being identified as Christian. Of course, this question, my friends, is not tethered to the teenage mind alone, for it extends to Christians of all ages and across the ages. Now, culturally and even nationally speaking, many Americans, if asked if they are Christians, are going to say, well, of course, I'm Christian. Yes, I am a Christian. However, much of that testimony, I believe, can be classified as something that I call cultural or non-practicing Christianity, meaning it is more important for people to say they believe in Jesus than to actually belong to Jesus to practice his teachings and live his values through worshiping and engaging in public action, such as caring for strangers, forgiving enemies, standing up for peace, or working for justice. Like a flashlight with weak batteries, cultural and non-practicing Christianity has a little bit of a light, but not the kind of light that represents Jesus fully, for it does not give testimony of lives transformed by Christ. Accordingly, cultural Christianity rights no wrongs 
accepts no critiques and builds no bridges between people. Cultural Christianity accepts no social responsibility and challenges no injustices. It is concerned less about love and more about liabilities. Less about people and more about prosperity. More about political power than the power of love. It shields children from the honest teachings of our history, but not from the threats posed by hunger and gun violence. While its proponents would think all of this makes them appear to be strong, it actually reveals a different reality, a driving force that can be seen and heard in all of their pronouncements and their propaganda. And here it is. It's a four-letter word. Fear. Fear. Fear of change. Fear of losing power. Fear of having the ground on which you've stood, on which they've stood for generations, moved out from underneath them. Several years ago, I visited Las Vegas for a meeting. In this case, my friends, what happened in Vegas will not stay in Vegas. So during an afternoon of free time, I joined some friends for a bit of tourism that didn't involve casinos. This led us to the 1,149-foot Stratosphere Hotel, where we became daredevils. Once there, we paid good money to be strapped into an electric rail car that lurched us over the edge of this hotel, only to have the floor drop out from underneath us. So there we were, legs dangling out with no flooring, some 1,100 feet above the ground. Now even though we were strapped in and safe, it was still rather scary to be in that rail car with no floor underneath us. That sense of being scared of losing one's social and political foundation, as imperfect as it may be, is a real one for many people, including many of us who say we're Christian. So instead of embracing holy transformation with its expectations of sacrificial redemptive and restorative love, adherents of cultural Christianity endorse conformity to life the way it is. They promote conformity to current understandings of power and conformity to a cultural narrative that looks to the past, but not to learn from it, but to repeat it 
not to build on it, but to relive it. For cultural Christians fear change. So cultural Christianity then promotes hysterical lies over historical truths. It relives and relieves its own complicity from past injustices like stealing native lands, enslaving African people, and restricting women's futures by redacting and whitewashing the historical record and denying the gross ethical and moral misdeeds of previous generations while accepting the wealth and privilege and power that came along with it. This reality underscores the importance, my friends, of Jesus asking his disciples some clarifying questions. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Let me paraphrase, do people know that I am embodying hope? Do you believe that I am embodying hope? Well, the fact that the disciples gave the right answers did not stop Jesus from providing a rather candid, unfiltered explanation to them that his life's trajectory was not leading him to having his portrait hung on a wall in somebody's sanctuary or fellowship hall. But to have his body being hung on an old rugged cross. So Peter then verbally challenged Jesus about his pathway to the cross. But when this happened, Jesus said rather plainly, yet forcefully, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan, because you, you can't see divine things because you are consumed by human things. You can't understand my vision and my values because you're too fearful about having the floor removed from underneath your feet and losing your identity and losing what you think is your life. Well, the hallmarks then of cultural Christianity are its acceptance of privilege and comfort and its rejection of the cross. Cultural Christians fear losing their lives, so they seek to preserve their lives, often at the expense of others. So then they end up enacting their Miranda rights to remain silent. They use their right to remain silent while scores of families are held hostage by oppressive medical debt. Silent while their neighbors languish in poverty, laboring in minimum wage jobs while doing the maximum work. They are silent over the bloated number of children living in poverty. They are silent 
while people are being put to death by other Christians to show somehow, perversely, that killing is immoral and wrong. Yet I'm so glad that there are some practicing Christians still left in this world. Often called weak and radical and liberal or communist, and these are the nice things they say about them. I'm so glad there are still some Christians in this world who believe in the power of love, who radiate hope, who take the risk of advocating for justice, advancing kindness, and actively walking humbly with their God. There are some Christians who are willing to pick up their cross and follow Jesus and lose their lives knowing that in doing so, they're going to find their lives in Christ and joining him in changing the world. They give up their right to remain silent. Somehow they speak up and they speak out in the name of love. Somehow they fight poverty, not the poor. Somehow they stand up for the well-being of children and for those who cannot stand up for themselves. Somehow they show up for movements for equal rights and equal justice under law. Somehow they stand up for those who have been disenfranchised, discriminated against, and disrespected by people in powerful places. And all of this they do in the name of the one who holds them in his arms and blesses them when the floor has been taken out from underneath them. The one who holds them and keeps them strapped in when they are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that one would be Jesus Christ. I believe our adulterous and sinful generation, uncivil and violent, unjust and insurrectionist generation will experience transformation and hope and holy change when more Christians pick up their crosses and take their faith seriously and publicly identify with the person and the perspectives and the vision and values of Jesus Christ. This morning I'm wearing a simple wooden cross around my neck. It was made for me by Bill Peters, a beloved deacon of that church I passed in Finley, Ohio, First Christian Church. Well, I wear it almost everywhere I go. As I made my way through the TSA security in order to make it to my next flight, I thought I'd have to remove it, this cross, from my, my neck in order to pass through the x-ray machines and then proceed to my flight and be approved by the TSA. Well, before I took my cross from my neck, one of the agents instructed me to leave it on. He said it really posed no security threat, no risk. No, no, no danger. 
when I heard the agent say all, all of this, I smiled and I thought to myself, he does not really know what this cross represents. He does not really know what this cross really means. He does not really know what this cross can do. I wanted to tell him that this cross has the power to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. This cross signifies the power to get people into heaven and heaven into the people. And I found myself mumbling the words of an Isaac Watts hymn, when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count the loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, and my all. I had to stop humming. I just started singing it at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith. I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. I'm happy about hope. I'm happy about healing. I'm happy about justice. I'm happy about love. And I'm happy about liberation. And I'll be happy when we abolish the death penalty of South Carolina and everywhere it exists in this land. God bless you and keep you, my friends.